This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro-private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Everyone, this is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to drive persistent growth for your SaaS company and building a scalable marketing agency. Today, we have our special guest, Eric Sue, joining us. Eric is the CEO of a digital marketing agency called Single Grain, which is a digital marketing agency focused on growing SaaS businesses, as well as helping Fortune 500 companies such as Uber, Amazon, and Salesforce acquire more customers through SEO and paid advertising. Eric usually helps entrepreneurs with the tools and processes to help them grow both personally and professionally, revealing secrets from the those companies that have grown from multi-million to billion-dollar companies. Eric is a marketing expert that contributes regularly to Entrepreneur Magazine, Fast Company, Forbes, and he is also the founder of ClickFlow, the entrepreneurial podcast, Growth Everywhere podcast, and the Marketing School podcast with Neil Patel. So, Welcome, Eric. I'm actually super excited to have you on our show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Akil. It should be fun. Awesome. So uh, for those of you who maybe don't already know about you, your background and what you're uh, working on, can you tell us about your background, your past ventures, and how you got to where you are today? I believe you uh, acquired and grew Single Grain as well as building ClickFlow in 2018. Yeah. So um, the long story, or, or actually, we'll, we'll keep it short, actually. Um, <laughs> sure. So I was... Um, leading marketing at a uh, online education uh, SaaS company. And then um, basically my podcast co-host, Neil, for Marketing School asked me to come help save um, you know, this agency called Single Grain, which I thought was a house of cards looking in from the outside. And I never really wanted to do an agency because I, you know, I think it's a terrible business. <laughs> um, and we can talk about that more in a little bit. But um, I thought to myself that if I can make it work, I could do um, anything. Because if I could, you know, with, with the last company I was at, um, it was, you know, we had a great product, we had a great team. It's just we didn't have good marketing and we were able to turn the company around and raise our Series B and kind of move on. Um, and so, you know, with, with single grain, the, the problem was it was an SEO agency and the work that was being done um, no longer worked, right? All, all these algorithm updates hit and then basically overnight, um, the work was invalidated. It just wasn't effective anymore. So, you know, single grain started losing clients. So the task was in and see if we can turn it around. Um, and then long story short, um, basically six months into my, my 
um, my my tenure. Um, basically, Neil was a partner in the company. There's um, some other people that were partners in the company. Basically, it was one yellow guy, myself, and four brown guys. So mm-hmm. um, basically, they they decided that they wanted out, and then actually Neil pulled me aside and said, "Hey, this is worth nothing right now. You should you know you should just you know uh, tap out as well." Um, and I said, "Hey, you know what? I think um, you know I'll, I'll give it a shot." And basically, you know, I was own, I owned ten percent of the company at a time, and then um, basically I negotiated a deal to um, buy Neil shares one dollar for ten percent, another dollar for ten percent from another partner, and then the rest was through basically just call it seller financing with yeah. um, the contingency of you know if the company failed, I would owe nothing, right? So it was basically to me it was it was exponential upside and very limited downside. So that's, you know, that's a Dundo deal if you read the book, Dundo Investing. Um, and so I was like, okay, you know, picked it up. And then um, basically in a year, um, you know, we basically uh, almost lost all our clients and we, we dropped all the way down to one employee and um, still, you know, was able to turn it around. And then that, the, the whole thesis of taking over the agency was, hey, like if it worked out, um, I would be able to take the cash flows from the agency, which is a great cash flow business, and then mm-hmm. take it into um, you know investing in other stuff um, that's more much more scalable that has uh, again exponential growth versus linear growth. So um, you know, hopefully that explains kind of you know where we're at today. Yeah, definitely. So I'm guessing Neil probably regrets that that one dollar investment is probably what worth on his shares is probably worth what a million dollars or more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. But the thing is this, right? Like Neil and I have yeah. always been close, and then he. After seeing the success of the agency, I, I you know, I, I had a conversation with him, um, mm-hmm. talking about what he can do with his website, and it wasn't, you know, I I kind of nudged him in the direction of saying, hey, like, um, you know, you should do it too. It just makes a lot of sense. And so he's got his agency; it's doing really well today. Um, the yeah. funny thing is, we're not involved in the day to day on the agency, so we we hired a CEO for agency for for Single Grain, um, and then he's got an he's got a CEO for Neil Patel Digital. So you know, it all worked out. Um, you know, nice. generating great cash flow for bo- cash flows for both of us. Nice. And then in 2018, you decided to build ClickFo. Was that your kind of time to to shift away and get back into SaaS and invest some of that cash into it? Yeah. So um, with with ClickFlow, so you know, it's it's basically um, it's software that helps you grow your SEO traffic while looking like a genius. That's kind of the the tagline. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've always been in SaaS. You know, SaaS has always been attractive to me. Obviously, you know, you you invest in SaaS. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, what we did was basically in late 2017, um, you know, started it up. And then now we actually have a GM that runs ClickFlow. So I'm, you know, out of the day-to-day on that. And then, you know, I'm just kind of um, trying to focus on high leverage activities, um, whether it's, you know, deal making or just creating content. It's just only the things that I can do, right? Um, So yeah, that's what happened. Very cool. So with Single Grade, I know one of your your guys' main focus industries is SaaS. Um, I'd love to hear kind of what, what are you guys seeing from a macro level, like marketing trends, or are you seeing any differences in marketing spend and where it's being directed with SaaS companies, specifically in 2020 with you know COVID hitting and and people changing their 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 processes and, and budgets? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, you know, SaaS is on fire this year. I guess depending on <laughs> the, the the niche that you pick um, in SaaS. Sure. I mean, obviously, if you're in travel, it kind of sucks. Uh, yeah. But you know, we in terms of trends that we've been seeing, um, you know. People use the word account-based marketing, but there's actually a lot of great tools now, such as MetaBase, um, that basically does automated account-based marketing for you. So they'll run the LinkedIn ads for you, they'll run the Facebook ads, um, and then you know if you're producing content, even better, right? So you can produce, you can promote your content. Um, what I've also seen as well in terms of trends. Um, I'm kind of looking for different things is, you know, Twitter ads have been fantastic because a lot of the SaaS community, they just hang out on Twitter. And that's mm-hmm. actually gotten um, single grain just by 
um, I all my team does is they, they they'll use my Twitter account and um, promote certain content that we have. And you know, we got you know amazing companies reaching out. We're spending like a hundred dollars a day. We're spending nothing basically. Hmm. Um, so you know, argument is maybe we should be spending more to get more clients. But again, you know, um, agency side business is very linear. Um, so you know, we're not always necessarily looking for more clients. Um, so you know, I, I talked about. Account-based marketing, Twitter ads. I think, um, you know, customer data platforms. You know, using Segment or Hull.io to kind of weaponize the data that you have to combine all the data sources, and then to be able to personalize the data that you have, and then also, you know, um, do better lead scoring and things like that. I think it's it's basically all coming down to how do you leverage data that you have in a way to target your, your ideal customers. Right. Um, you know, another thing I would say is um, there's a Actually, a really good blog post by a company called uh, Grow and Convert, um, and they talk about pain point SEO. And I think that's smart because you know instead of targeting, you know, creating content for top of the funnel and, and uh, middle of the funnel, I, I would argue, or and they would argue too, that you know most of the content you should be creating is probably long tail um, keywords going after things such as um, let's say click flow alternatives or you mm-hmm. know. Um, Click flow reviews or you know things like that, right? Where, where people yeah. are more likely to convert, um, going for those first versus going for the big stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, well, the final thing I'll say is I, I know in one of your questions, um, the I, I guess what we're seeing work, you know, constant consistently across all of our our SaaS clients is that um, you know LinkedIn ads works well, Google works well, Facebook ads work well, but the, the problem with these is that the costs are just getting more and more expensive. Right. So I would just say like. You know, leveraging your email list, leveraging your own assets, leveraging SEO, and then you know, combining with you know things such as customer data platforms, you're going to have a lot more control, and then your costs can be um, lower. That's an interesting. I've never heard of that as a, a Twitter ads as a way to consider. And I mean, if you guys are seeing good results, might have to try that out yourself. And oh, for sure, um, yeah. And you're saying a big community of SaaS people, and that's how we connected as well. So I agree with that. Love, love, love Twitter. Um, a question about like kind of the the perception of marketing because I feel uh, how do you feel the perception of marketing from a client perspective has changed over the past few years from the inside it feels like you know marketing went from I think highly subjective to the past and now like you mentioned it's a lot more data driven and marketers you know good marketers are now more number literate is is it kind of widely understood from clients or do you often need to make that you know make them aware of the value delivered and showing them the numbers. I think, I mean, they still, it's probably still the second one first. I think they're still getting, mm. I would say maybe they're like a couple of years behind. Um, mm. I think, you know, if you, if you're living in the SaaS and the tech world, typically, you know, you're ahead and you're trying new things. Um, the clients aren't as savvy, I would say, um, because they have a lot of other things to do, which is why they hire like an agency in the first place. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, th- that's what I would say. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, so, you, you know, I want to know a little bit more. What does your playbook look like? I know you mentioned some kind of trends of what's working, but, you know, you work with some of the biggest names in the industry, with the Fortune 500 companies, as well as venture-backed startups. Uh, how does the growth playbook look like to assess the, you know, unique value proposition, who the target audience is, the market, and then drive the acquisition cost down, increase conversions, and grow MRR? Can you share a little bit of what that playbook look like, looks like? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it simple. I mean, I'll, I'll probably keep it more, um, you know, top of funnel. I think a lot okay. of people, especially in SaaS, um, I think the screw up here is that, you know, people in, in tech think, you know, um, 
at least what I've seen, uh, the majority is, oh, it's, you know, let's, let's learn how to run um, demand gen, quote unquote, is just running right. ads. And it's a lot more than that, right? I think, you know, you have to understand um, how to do customer development. You have to understand, um, you know, the right questions to ask, right? The problems people are facing. And that actually guides the, your, your messaging and your messaging actually guides your creative, right? So I think the number one most important thing when it comes to marketing is the creative. Like if you go to, um, if you do Facebook, uh, go to Facebook ad library, which is free, uh, go type in ClickFunnels. And so ClickFunnels is a SaaS company. They do about 150 million plus a year. And um, I believe they're, they're bootstrapped. And yeah. um, you know, the, the main thing about Russell Brunson, which is kind of the, the face of the company, the CEO, or I don't think he's the CEO, but he's the face of the company. He's a great marketer. If you yeah. look at Facebook ad library, they have over 600 creatives running at any given time. And so, but if you look at most SaaS companies, they might have like two, three, four or so. Um, right. and, and so, but you know, with Russell, you know, he, he, I would say he's a showman, right? He's done really well in terms of marketing the company. Right. Um, and so, you know, he's constantly thinking about, okay, what new angles can I come up with? What new pattern interrupts can I come up with? Because if your creative is good, your click-through rates are going to go up, right? And all your, all your down funnel metrics are going to, um, are going to be better, right? Your, your cost per click is going to be better. Your uh, cost per acquisition is going to be better. And so the creative actually drives a lot of your marketing. So, you know, whether it's an A, again, you have to understand customer development to get into the mind of your customer. That's going to mm -hmm. guide your copy, right? And then if you're going to make videos and things like that, your copy is going to guide the videos. It's going to guide, um, you know, the images and, and stuff you make. So I, I just think, you know, wow. people need to think more around, hey, like, you know, what, what, is, uh, what does copywriting look like? What does customer development look like, right? Um, how do I get into the psychology of my customers? And, um, and then, you know, think longer term. Because it's not just, we're going to throw up a couple of image ads and then bug our designers and, and that's it. Like, that you, if, you, if you do that, you're going to get subpar results. Wow, I, I've never, I would have never thought of that. Just the the creative side. It's usually, the copy and the targeting is a huge, probably the big factor. But oh, absolutely. But I, I think that's table stakes now. Like I think that's easy. Right. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. How how often are you guys creating? Yeah, I've, I've seen that before, right? Like four or five, six creatives, maybe a month, and then you know just cycling, just playing on the back end of targeting. Um, yeah. How often are you, are you guys adjusting or creating uh, different creatives? So when we were running ads for the agency accelerator program that we have, um, mm -hmm. we, I think, you know, we don't have like 600 ads, but I, I believe each week we would try to come up with at least, you know, four to five new creatives. And basically my team would meet on Mondays and um, for, it's a 30 minute creative meeting and they'll just talk about, Hey, like, you know, here's what's, here's what uh, actually looks cool in the market. Like, here's what actually pattern interrupted me. What influence can we draw from that? What images can we pull from, um, you know, or videos can we pull from like, you know, Eric's other content, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, we, we had a workflow going. So every single day, you know, Tuesdays through Fridays, we'd have a 15 minute stand up talking about like, hey, what's working, what's not working. Uh, Mondays would be 90 minutes and we'd talk about the best creatives and what's not performing. So it's, it's very methodical, right? So having that type of process where um, you're actually meeting because the meetings naturally force you to keep it top of mind. So I think that's important as well. Makes make sense. And how, how does the strategy change? So if you're focusing on B2B SaaS, they're targeting, you know, say mid-market or enterprise where they have longer sales cycle versus, you know, the SMB self-serve focused clients who are driven by, you know, high volume traffic and conversions on, on the spot. Do you, do you guys change strategy there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when it comes to 
you know, mid-market enterprise, obviously, you know, the, the ACVs are higher. So you have a lot more resources and, and you actually have a lot more room for error. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, the, you know, it actually opens up the playbook, right? You know, we talk about the account-based marketing stuff, the customer data platform stuff. Um, you know, we're talking, you, you can have a sales team, right? You can have a field sales team and all that. I right. think, um, you know, most people in SaaS understand that. I think, you know, with, with the SMB stuff, I think the trend is generally, you know, everyone's talking about product-led growth, right? How do you do freemium? I think you have a lot of, lot more self-serve motions like freemium, free trial and things like that. I think um, it's, that's just generally how we think about it. It's just you... I think it's it's different, right? Like my one of my buddies, um, you know, he, he gets a ton of traffic, and, and he sells plugins for like you know, um, you know, thirty dollars a year or something like that, right? And it's okay. just like to your point, it's it's just all volume. Um, so it's just it's it's different playbooks. I would say in general, they're widely understood already. So mm, makes sense. Um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the SaaS versus agency. So I know. Many agency owners, you know, including myself, I've ran agencies in the pack. I, I know they eventually move to building a SaaS. I feel like that's a natural transition for many agency owners because they either, you know, burn out from managing a bunch of clients or they hit that plateau or linear growth, which you talked about. Um, so after running single grain for seven plus years now, you run. You also run an agency accelerator program. Where, um, what are some suggestions you have to other digital marketing agency owners? on how they're able to scale effectively if, you know, at least into a certain point. Yeah. So one of one of the reasons I took over single grain A was um, great cash flows. Once you get it um, stabilized, that was kind of the goal. The second goal was, um, and I'll share some numbers with you. I have a buddy that has an agency. They do about $26 million a year and they have uh, 25 employees. So revenue per employee is very high, right? We're talking a million nice. bucks plus, right? Um, I have another friend. Um, his company does about, I think it's uh, 24 million a year and he has 10 employees, right? So 2.4 <laughs> revenue per employee. And then wow. another buddy, um, his company does 500 million a year with 336 or so employees. So, mm-hmm. you know, you do the math there and the re- we talked about exponential growth versus linear. I think the best way, if you're going to run an agency, if you're so good at marketing or whatever it is you say you do, you operate on performance. And so, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, if you say, hey, um, Eric, like I'll pay you $500 per lead that you drive and I'm able to get the cost down to 200. Well, then I couldn't, I collect the the difference, right? So the $300 difference right there, I'm going to make $300 per lead. And so it's good for you because all you care about at that point is I'm just driving leads. And all I care about is I'm driving leads at a good cost where I'm making a profit. And so that becomes very exponential and the incentives become much more aligned because I'm not trying to hold out on ideas to just keep the retainer going. I'm right. going to front load all the good ideas and I'm going to work with you as um, almost as a partner. But at the same time, like you don't get to boss me around telling me you want all these calls and all that. Right. So that's how that works. And I think it's genius. You just need to kind of change things up a little bit. You know, if you're running like a, like a paid media agency or even an SEO agency. Um, and I think, you know, you know, it, it sounds risky, but then, you know, like anything, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast understand that it's all about the terms that you set up, right? You can set up terms that are favorable to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, you're, if you're still scared that it's too risky, maybe you set it up as a stock portfolio, right? Type of thing where like maybe five to 20% of your client portfolio might be pay for performance. The other 80% um, might just be, you know, that's the standard agency retainers. But um, that's the only reason 
or that's one of the only reasons um, that I that I kept single grain up to now, right? I, I think it's still a very viable business. Um, if you know you can, especially if you can make a performance, the CEO right now is tasked with doing that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. I've, I see that with uh, you know different agency owners who tell me you know they they do all the hard work, right? They get their retainer, but you know two years down the line or whatever, now they're it, it's hard for them to see maybe see the value. They've they've gotten all the growth out of the agency, and now they just can easily take it on and and manage it themselves, or, or you know find somebody. Cheaper. Oh yeah, it's it's a terrible <laughs> business. I mean, it's like you're building you're building someone else's business for them without building any equity in it. Um, you might as right. well like change the incentives and and then collect some some more upside, um, and then people will like you more for that too. And then you don't need a ton of clients. You don't need a ton of headache there. Um, so, and, and by the way, like, you know, agencies are great. Um, the, the whole reason I did the agency accelerator thing is because I, you know, I, I talked with, um, Andrew Wilkinson on my leveling up mm-hmm. podcast. Um, the agency is a great launchpad business. It's a great starter business. And mm-hmm. so again, like you can great, get great cash flows from it. Um, you are probably not going to sell it for a lot unless you get to like 5 million EBITDA or so, then you might get like a, you know, 10 X valuation on that. And I've mm-hmm. seen a couple of friends do that, but, um, you know, for the most part, you just kind of, um, you know, you can hold on to it and um, you know, you again use the cash flows and that is your funding mechanism to do all the other cool stuff that you might want to do. Exactly. Have you so you mentioned the you know cost or dollar per lead model? Have you done anything or do you suggest anything on like a percentage of sales basis? Because I know that could be attractive as well because you're aligning the incentive for you know results, but then at the same time, you know, there's attribution and tracking and all yeah. that to think about too, right? Down the funnel where maybe you don't have as much control. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of nuances in there. I mean, you know, first you got to make sure that you have a really good relationship with whoever you're going to do the performance thing with, because then they'll trust you with giving access to the CRM and, you know, all the tracking stuff. Um, and then the other thing is there actually is a uh, conversion rate optimization agency, I believe based in Atlanta. And, you know, for them, uh, they, they actually charge, um, so they'll say, hey, if we lift your conversion rate up, um, we want, you know, 10% or 25% of, you know, whatever lift we provide in terms of sales. So they do it and they're successful with it. Makes makes sense. I like that. Um, how has the experience have been for you? So, you know, building and running ClickFlow compared to growing, you know, single grain and do you suggest other entrepreneurs who are, you know, day one, they're looking to get into one of these options. Should they go with SaaS right away or should they, you know, start with the agency and then, you know, kick off to a SaaS later on? I think the answer is it, it depends, right? I think like, look, mm. if, if you build a SaaS and then like you're, you're trying to do Snowflake and, you know, they they just, you know, blitzed it and, um, you know, they hired just really strong SaaS executives. I think you go down that route and you focus on SaaS. I think if you are looking, like for me, I like having a lot of control and I like things, I, I like doing things my way. So, um, you know, I, I think the model of starting the agency first, getting the cash and kind of, um, it, it, it does delay things a little more. But um, again, I, ultimately I have control and I'm not reporting to anybody. Um, that's just the model that I, I prefer. And then, you know, again, it like as I was saving single grain, I was also building the audience around marketing. And, you know, we've built a, a decently sized audience now and our, our, you know, we get some good traffic on, on you know, kind of across the board. Um, and so now I can leverage the cash flows from the agency and I can also leverage the audience and then that can push things such as, as click flow. So the whole thesis now is like, you know, I just want to focus on MarTech stuff. And now mm-hmm. I want to focus more on just buying or investing instead of, 
instead of building, right? So I think it's just, you know, the, the, the book I have coming out called Leveling Up, it's just about, you know, one step at a time, right? Um, so look, again, if I'm looking to build Snowflake and I'm looking to have like a, you know, billion dollar plus exit, I think yeah. you go straight for SaaS. And I think if you have the resources, do it. Um, but if not, I think the majority of people, I think you probably want to have some type of starter business first to kind of cover your nut, whether it's like 100 or 200 grand a year. And then, you know, you have a lot more freedom uh, to be flexible and take shots. Exactly. And I also think the experience, just as an entrepreneur, if you've never run anything before, like in the agency gives you, I think it makes you more well-rounded, right? You're dealing with fires, you're putting out fires, you're, you're learning from clients, right? You, if you work with SaaS companies, you get to learn the ins and outs of what's working, how to manage people, how to hire people, how to delegate, deal with support, deal with sales, right? So then when you go to SaaS, like I think it's, it's easy compared to that game, right? Yeah. And then by the way, like a lot of agencies have just converted into uh, SaaS companies, right? I think like mm. there's some that come off the top. I think, you know, um, there's CoSchedule, there's Moz. Uh, I think uh, Basecamp was that way too. So um, there's there's so many of these stories out there and yeah. um, there's you can go in any direction you want. That's true. So in, in, in our current age, you know, 2020, how do you become a better digital marketer than, you know, your competition or your peers or people you're working with, what, what do you think is some main skills that is required and what does it take to be good at that? Yeah, I think if you want to get the top 5% of strategies or tactics around just business and marketing in general, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I hate using the word masterminds, but, you know, that's a word used kind of in the internet marketing world. But there's, you know, a lot of masterminds out there. You know, Neil and I, we have our own, um, we, we call it a peer group because we don't like to be lumped in with, you know, masterminds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we are able to curate, you know, whoever's in the group, right? So we have a lot of, you know, um, seven to nine figure entrepreneurs in the group. And, um, you know, Neil and I might share things, we'll bring in speakers and all that. But beyond that, like there's people sharing kind of what's working for their business. So I, I and, you know, it's because you're in an intimate environment. Um, and, you know, obviously, we don't have our live events right now. But once we bring them back, it's you're in an intimate environment, people are sharing and people are just a lot more open. Or you have peer groups, like we were kind of talking about earlier. Um, you know, I, I'm in YPO and I'm in EO. So entrepreneurs organization or young presidents organization. I, you, again, you're going to get the 5% of things that, you know, people wouldn't share openly. Um, and that's the gold, right? Because because especially in the growth marketing or marketing world, um, whatever gets shared out there, it gets copied very quickly. So that's why a lot of you know marketers are hesitant to share the top five to ten percent of things that that work really well. And obviously, you know, there's um, you know me personally, I love using Twitter because like the amount of information and the pace of information, like it's just great. So um, yeah. that's kind of how I get better. Make, makes sense. Um, and where, where would you say you're focusing your o- own marketing efforts and budget for, for your brand? So I know you have, you know, several, you're on several podcast shows, you have the leveling up uh, channel on YouTube. Where are you focusing your time and effort now on the high level stuff? Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, the, the whole plan, and, and I was thinking about this, I, I had a guy on my podcast, uh, and his name's Anthony Pompliano. And, um, you know, all he, all he focuses on is just, I was like, what does your day to day look like? And, you know, he's like, you know, the, honestly, like the highest leverage thing I can do is is create content. And I was like, holy shit, like I should just be doing that because, you know, there's, um, you know, across the channels, um, you know, if I just focused on that, um, it would create a lot of opportunities because, you know, whatever you might spend, you know, 45 minutes to create like a three minute video on YouTube. But then, you know, the leverage you get from, you know, thousands of people seeing it, um, that's just so hard to beat. Right. And, and so, you know, I, I'm just strictly focused on high leverage activities such as content creation or 
Um, I'm focused on other high leverage activities such as, um, you know, talking to people and then, you know, just making deals and, and, and things like that. So that's kind of where I should focus because I realized that, you know, for me, I'm very good at getting things off the ground zero to one. I don't like details. Um, and I just like trying new things, right? And I, I love learning too. So I think mm-hmm. that actually fits in well with like me just fo- focusing on content and just connecting with people. That's all I need to do. Nice. And if somebody else is looking to start, you know, same, same space, you know, podcasting or starting a YouTube channel, how long and how persistent should they be like that? You know, I, I understand the value of it. Um, is this a six month experience? Is it a one year thing or you yeah. know, how long before you start seeing real results from it? So I'll share the story around the leveling up podcast first. Um, sure. I mean, this was when I was trying to save uh, single grain. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very idiotic for me to do a podcast <laughs> at that time. Um, so, but anyway, I decided to do it. And my whole thing was, um, and you know, at the time it was Andrew Warner from Mixergy. He was kind of the big one, right? Tim Ferriss wasn't even out yet with his podcast. So um, I was like, oh, I'm just going to put like a marketing spin on it. So I was spending six hours a week interviewing, editing, um, reaching out to people, um, publishing uh, while I was trying to save single grain. And after the first year, I was only getting nine downloads a day, right? Hmm. And I I did it again for this, this year two. Year two, my results weren't much better. It was 30 downloads a day after the second year. But the, the whole thing for me was that I was learning a lot from these people and the downloads didn't matter that much to me. So for me, it was more of like a two-year journey to get it going. Now we're at about 100,000 downloads a month. Um, but eventually that led to the Marketing School podcast that I do with Neil. We're at about 1.5 million downloads a month right now. Um, but you know, like you said earlier, like it, it's, it's just about persistence. Like with the YouTube channel... Um, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't put, and I still haven't put a lot of effort into it. I'm starting to focus on it more now. Um, but you know, we it's more modest, about forty six thousand subscribers or so. But um, I would say it's it took three years to get to that point, from basically twenty five hundred subscribers to forty six thousand. Um, so you know, what I would say too is that things start to are slow to start, but then um, over like over 18 to 24 months or so, it, it starts to become, as you grow, it becomes exponential. It's not linear growth like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So I think, you know, you just have to stay patient with it. I would say YouTube's a lot more competitive. Podcasting, not as much yet because as of like a year ago, there are only 700,000 podcasts in the world versus like over a billion blogs. And then, you know, with YouTube, it's getting pretty saturated too. So I would just say, think about where your audience is. Think about where the blue ocean is um, and mm. zig where other people are zagging. And, um, you know, you just stick with it for, you know, go for 18 to 24 months. If you're lucky, maybe you get it going in six months. But I would also say, don't be like me because I spread my attention. I think if mm. I just focused on one, it would have grown a lot faster too. And do you remember how, how often you were posting then? Was it like once a week thing or were you doing this every day, that the six hours a week on? Yeah. Um, so for leveling up, I was posting once a week because it's a, more of a like an interview type of podcast. Um, yeah. Marketing school, we post every day, but we just batch record They're like five yeah. to 10 minute episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for YouTube, um, I, we batch record as well. And... Um, you know, before COVID, we were releasing like three videos a week, but now I'm actually going to try to ramp it up to like one per day. So, wow! So only forty six thousand subscribers. So, given the size of your you know, existing audience, are you? Would you say you're more focused on, you know, top of the funnel or mid funnel? You know, content marketing. Where do you see more value? I think. Um, I. I mean, you know, on on our blogs, so so on the single grain website, we get about three hundred thousand or. 
320,000 visits a month. So it's decent. Um, mm-hmm. On that website, we're more focused on bottom of the funnel, um, middle to bottom of the funnel, because we have good domain authority now. And um, whatever we tend to publish tends to rank well. Yeah. Um, and so... You know what I would say for podcasting, we we probably go more top of the funnel there. We're just trying to capture more of a, um, it's it's kind of like the Fortnite model. Like they're just trying to capture more TAM by giving away free free stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, and then I would say it's it's probably more top of the funnel too with with YouTube as well because you know I have this whole yeah I have this notepad in front or this this post in front of me. Like if my mission is to level up the entire world, um, I kind of have to go wide. So it depends on kind of what you're trying to do. Love it. Love it. I, I love it. I actually didn't realize where the, the leveling up comes from, but now it makes sense. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um, what or whom are, are kind of like the best three resources or who have been mentors to you that you, you could say have been instrumental to your success of where you are today? I would say, um, you know, like what I mentioned earlier, like, you know, peer groups like EO and YPO. I, I, I first joined EO when I was... Um, when I was 27 years old, and there's just so many things I didn't know. Like you just don't know what you don't know, um, and you know people were gracious enough to kind of pay it forward. Um, so that was like a group of mentors, and then that network is really powerful because I'm able to travel. When I was traveling the world, I was able to meet up with people, and, and they took care of me, right? And um, so that I'm very grateful for. I think obviously, you know, my my relationship with Neil, um, we. You know, I, I first met him. You know, when we were uh, when I was reading his blog, right? Yeah. One of his old blogs, Quick Sprout, and um, you know, we've kind of just been friends ever since. But you know, he's pointing me in the direction of opportunities. I've helped him as well, and then we we decided to start the podcast together. So that's been really good. And I think, you know, beyond that, um, I've had. I'd say, you know, I've had executive coaches. So right now, I have a, I have a coach. Um, his name's. Um, his name, he, so he's one, he's a CEO of a company called Reboot. His name's Jerry. And uh, he's been, you know, instrumental because, you know, just helping me unpack a lot of the, a lot of my baggage from, you know, my past. It actually fits in with how I'm programmed today and how I work. And, you know, unwinding that um, is, is super powerful. So I'd say that that was a big help. Awesome. And uh, whether personal or in business or just general life, what does success mean to you today? Yeah. I mean, you know, success to me is just being able to wake up in the morning and work on whatever I want to work on. So that's why it's like just not having a boss and deciding what I want to do. Um, that to me is, is super fun, right? It just feels like I'm playing a game every day. Right. Yeah, it's the ultimate form of freedom, right? Yep. Um, cool. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate this conversation. Uh, you have your new book coming out. Can you sh- tell your audience where can uh, they get in touch with you? What can they, they expect from the book and how can they get a, a hold of you as well? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, you know, the, and, and thank you for that. So my, you know, my background is I kind of did, you know, esports before it became a thing. And um, I actually think a lot of those concepts, uh, concepts apply to um, real life and also business too. So, um, you know, for, for leveling up, if you want to learn more about it, you can go to levelingup.com. You know, the entire premise is how to master the game of life. Um, Cause I actually feel like I'm playing a game every day. <laughs> um, and then if you want to reach out, you can hit me up on Twitter at Eric O S I U um, or on Instagram. It's the same screen name. Okay. Awesome, Eric. We'll put those all in the show notes for people to check out. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram 
or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again 